it's something about the environment that we're operating in right now with with certain aspects, things like work from home, really lend itself to specialization, whether that's specialization in engineering or, or specialization in, in product or specialization in service, whatever it is, the world right now really lends itself to it because the more that you have different disciplines in an organization, the more complexity you bring into that. And then the more complexity you bring into that in a, a more distributed environment, I think sometimes that is a little bit more challenging. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Robert Henderson. Robert is the CEO at Jump Crew. And in our conversation today, Robert and I are talking about outsourcing sales. I mean, think about it. Most companies are product companies, and sales is something that they have to do in order to keep the doors open. But for the most part, many of these companies don't see sales as sort of the primary mission of the company and oftentimes considered sort of a necessary evil. But if you're a company like Jump Crew, where sales is your product, then perhaps you look at things like how to hire sellers, how to onboard them, how to manage them. You look at those through a different lens than most companies would, because quite frankly, you have to do that better. So that's part of what we dig into in this episode is what have Jump Crew, as real true sales specialists, what have they learned about how to hire and onboard and manage performance that product companies could learn to do better? So we get into all this and much, much more. But before we get to Robert, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. Let's jump into it with Robert. Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. So people that don't know about you, um, yeah, tell us about yourself briefly and, and what you do. Uh, well, I'm, I'm Robert Henderson. I am... Uh, dad to two uh, little humans. One of them is named Benjamin. He's going to be seven. Uh, my daughter Theodora is going to be two soon. She Love is. Love the name. Love the name. You don't hear that name very often these days. Yeah, yeah. It was. I have to give credit to to my wife. I got to pick my son's name, so she um, she got to pick Theodora's name, and uh, it's really great. It's it's a it's a very I would say like a traditional name that reminds you of like a, a very stoic, like well put together person. And Theodore is actually the exact opposite. She is a rebel she, without a cause, Love but it. a rebel indeed. Right. And um, brings a lot of, of joy and um, and activity to, to our house. And Scott, she's got some space between her brothers. She's five years younger. And oh, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah, so she she rules the house with an iron fist right now, um, but yeah, she's been a blessing. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so, Jump Crew. When we had somebody else, your associate Darren or Jaron, excuse me, on the phone uh, on the show, excuse me, you'd think it'd be easier for me to talk after doing so many of these <laughs> these episodes. So, um, yeah, I was looking forward to having you back on the show because it's it's. Um, such a great concept is is what you do. So tell people what Jump Crew does. I want to dive into. I think this is is something I hope is a trend. Go ahead. Awesome. Well, outside of uh, of my husband and father stuff, I'm also the CEO of Jump Crew, CEO and co-founder of Jump Crew. And what Jump Crew does is is we outsource sales and marketing. Uh, we think of it about about it as customer generation more than anything. And so in a new world where 
um, people make decisions in, in many different ways. We feel like the end of the funnel, talking to a person via voice is one component of customer acquisition, but mm-hmm. there are other components that have to do um, with um, marketing your business and helping people to understand your products before mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to engage with them. And so um, so what Jump Crew does is we build awareness of your business, drive leads into your business and ultimately convert those leads into paying customers via having those conversations that we all know and love. So to a large degree, it's like a company could outsource an entire go-to-market motion. That's right. And and many companies do. And we've had, uh, we're, we're fortunate, fortunate enough to have partners that we've worked with from the very beginning um, since we started and developed um, not only go-to-market uh, motions, but even upsell, cross-sell functions across the board. And so we really um, um, look at ourselves as, hey, there are a lot of companies in the world that are really great at building products and services. We're really great at selling products and services. For those who want to focus on building those products and services, we're a good partner to do the selling side of things. Yeah, so this is what I was alluding to earlier just on the openness is, yeah, why does sales have to be a core competency of a company, right? As you said, companies are really good at, at building products. Um, and oftentimes, you know, sales is sort of an afterthought. It's, you know, they underinvest. Uh, people reluctantly invest in sales. It's, hey, it's the necessary evil. And then, you know, we create a profession where people turn over at high rates and a lot of dissatisfaction and so on. So why don't more companies sort of embrace this idea of saying, well, we outsource lots of things in our business. Why not sales? Yeah, it's a great question. It's certainly one that I uh, ask myself. You know, I I I believe in focus, and I, I believe in um, mastery. And so, in in my mind, in the way that I work with our partners, um, there there are things that uh, companies have a DNA to focus on. So, for example, an engineering and product company is a very specific muscle to build and, and a culture and a DNA and, and product and engineering. And then to try to switch gears on that and become a sales and marketing company as well, I think is probably more than most companies really need to take on practically. And that's sort of the aha moment that I came to, which is that, you know what, let's create a, a product where they don't need to take that on, where they can just have a partner where they feel confident, well, look, if I need $100,000 in revenue or and I need you know, 1,000 customers next year, I can rely on Jump Crew to just do that for me. And that way I can be a subject matter ex- expert in what I do. Okay. So lots of questions come out of that. that so <laughs> when you work with customers, first of all, does it tend to be yeah, you know, with a new a new product introduction or it's just a newer company or a company that's <laughs> thrown up their hands and said, we don't have any idea what we're doing here with selling, so maybe there's somebody that could do it better than us. Uh, what sort of environment do you find yourself in? There's there's two major use cases the way the way that we partner with people. So the first one, um, I would say, sort of ironically, because I didn't expect it. The first one is um, Fortune hundred companies. I would say so. You're very very large companies. You know, some of our customers have hundreds of thousands of, of employees, big businesses with a lot of different product lines and they have certain products that they want to get more traction with or they want to build up 
but they don't have the internal resources or bandwidth mm-hmm. to move that from 100 million to 200 million or or to staff up that team or whatever the case might be and they they have the product and they have the capability but they just don't have the infrastructure to build up a sales team hire the SDRs launch the lead pages acquire the data mm-hmm. create the content all that stuff and so I would say that's the number one use case. They come to us and say, "Hey, we have we have this division that could use some help. You know, we're not good. We don't we don't have the time, effort, energy to staff that area up. Can you guys help us with that? Mm-hmm. That that would sort of be the number one use case. Right. Number you, m- number two use case would be um, an earlier stage company. Usually, I would say probably like a Series C or D, or maybe about to go public company that says. We've got this great idea. We've got this great product. We're moving really, really fast. The market loves us. We just can't get market share fast enough. And a lot of times also like it's not exactly what we do. Like we might, you know, build widgets or we might, you know, have furniture or whatever it is. It's not exactly what we do. So we just need to move really fast. Let's get somebody in here who's used to moving really fast, knows exactly what to do and how to do this, partner with them and let them help us accelerate our growth. So those are the main two use cases. Um, but in the, in the latter example, it's a company you're saying, it's you know, Series C, they've been, they've been in market, they've been selling their products. So, oh yeah, most of them will already have 50 or $100 million in revenue. Right, so um, what happens to their existing sales team when they bring you on? Oh, they just wanna grow faster. So, okay. so typically they on. keep their sales team and, and we're an add-on, yes. Got it, got it, okay. And so how's that received <laughs> when they're an ex- existing sales organization? And so he says, look, we're going to bolt on these people. And it's, it's like, I can imagine that some of the existing team is, I don't know, intimidated or they, you know, they think, hey, the hired guns are coming or maybe it's the opposite direction. What, what, do, you, what do you see mostly? You know, um, I know that you're uh, a, a big fan of authenticity and you know, for us, we just have to be our authentic selves in, in the conversation. So when we talk to our sales peers or, or sales leaders within conversa- uh, uh, within businesses or marketing leaders or whoever we're working with, mm-hmm. you know, we, we let them know right away, like the strategy of our business is that, you know, all boats rise with rising tides. Yep. Yep. You guys do really well. And if you guys are crushing it, you're going to expand with us. We're going to be that bolt on that's pushing you guys up and and you guys will push us up with you. And so creating these symbiotic relationships where everybody is growing together is what is successful, especially in our industry. And there's a lot of examples about that. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we just show up with like, what can we do to help you? How can we help you guys grow faster? And I think when people understand that that is your true motivation and it's not always every day that they just believe you because you said it but when your actions show mm-hmm. that that's your true motivation mm-hmm. um then then you're just there as uh, as something in their toolkit another uh, another thing that they can use to grow faster and most sales teams react really well to that because they're under so much pressure to deliver revenue that anything we can do to help them is welcomed as long as that is our um authentic motivation which right. it is well what do you know about doing it faster than them mm. so that part is is really really easy um, okay. Okay. I mean, actually nothing is easy but it's simple, simple. right what's that right yeah and so okay 
you know, company A goes out and they're going to hire 50 salespeople. If you go to hire, and it's just like, let's just start with that simple one, right? Right, right. If you go to hire 50 salespeople for the first time, you're going to make mistakes in every process. Every step of the hiring process, you're going to make mistakes. And if you don't realize that you're going to make mistakes when you're doing it for the first time, you shouldn't even try, (laughs) right? (laughs) So if so if you go to hire these 50 people and 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 it's the first time that you're recruiting interviewing training and deploying at that scale for sure right at that scale right you're going to make a ton of mistakes you're going to have to do it three or four or five or six times before you get it right so you're going to hire four to six cohorts of 50 people and burn millions and millions of dollars and six or eight quarters before you get it right. And that could take you two years. Jump Crew's been hiring at that scale for five years now. Mm-hmm. So when we go to hire 50 people, we know exactly what to do. We know you know, where to post for the right types of candidates, what questions to ask, what the interview process should be like, what the training process should be like, what the um, scoring process should be like, how we retrain people, how we help people be successful and so on and so forth. And that just comes with like one aspect. That's mm-hmm. just how do you recruit salespeople? Right. You know, there are other aspects. How do you get data? How do you really understand who your target market is and acquire that data so that you're not spending hours and hours of your valuable sales time trying to figure out name, address, and phone number, but you just have a great database for that. Mm-hmm. Doing it the first time you probably don't know how to do that. If you're doing it for the hundredth time or two hundredth time, you know exactly where to go, and you probably actually already have that data already, as we do. And right. and so those are just two very simple examples. But we do this professionally, and um, we know exactly how to execute on it. And a lot of companies that are just doing it for the first time, or the first time in ten years, or the first time in in five years, um, their go to market time is going to be longer than ours is. So when you take on a, a new engagement and you're putting sellers on as a mix of you know, people redeploying from other jobs, if they come to an end and they're available or and, and new people? It's it's typically new people, okay. uh, I would say for the most part, so 85, 90, 80, 80% of the time, it's it's new people. Um, where we do have opportunities, we'll, we'll um, have some of our our veteran people move from one uh, engagement to the other, right. um, but it's typically new people, and so but not that's new, where, not new to sales though. There's new to you, new and to it, us, yeah, yeah because that's, yeah, you need to be able to deliver a finished product to, to your customers. That's right, and and you know, there's different people who have different perspectives about that. Um, some some of our competitors, you know, hang their hat on the fact that they hire really new people and train them. Um, that hasn't been the route that we've gone. We we tend to hire people with three to five years of sales experience. That's kind of our sweet spot because we want to iterate from a base of knowledge, at least entry level knowledge, as opposed to start at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, if I was a customer, potential customer of yours, and I was I was looking at the options, like, why well, wouldn't I hire outsources to people that are just training their people uh, yeah. on my dime, basically, to to be good. Yeah. One of our VPs says, if we're training on time and attendance, we're in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, and this is, yeah, this gets back to, again, something I was talking about earlier is, is, you know, sellers who are, you know, this is, this is your profession. I sort of used the, maybe the wrong 
metaphor, but it's like, uh, you know, in the U S are at some point we switched from you know, like a volunteer army to a, or from a, <laughs> a conscripted army to a volunteer army, right. To fight the wars and professionals. We brought in the specialists. Um, it's sort of like the same thing as like, if you're, if you're going to market and I sort of, I understand why companies maybe feel this loss of control if they're not to some degree, perhaps if they outsource the selling, but I keep coming back, you know, we, we've gone a long ways in sales towards specializing the roles. You know, we've broken the SDR, at least in the soft tech world is, you know, SDRs, AEs, success. But then the companies still don't invest in enabling management the way they should. They don't invest in managing their, or enabling their sellers the way as much as they should or providing types of sports services they need. And it's like, well, hey, here's an organization that their equivalent to their R&D is training their sellers, Right. Yeah, that's um, right. And to make them make them better. I don't know. I mean, do you see this as a trend, uh, more broadly adopted trend coming up in the future where people said, yeah, we, let's just really focus on things we want to do and we're good at, which is yeah, building products. Absolutely. And um, it's it's not just me. Our, our peers in the industry know that. And, and the industry is, is growing very, very quickly with with us along with it which is obviously exciting mm-hmm. and it, it's something about the environment that we're operating in right now um with with certain aspects things like work from home really lend itself to specialization mm-hmm. uh, whether that's specialization in engineering or, or specialization in, in product or specialization in service whatever it is um the the world right now really lends itself to it because the more that you have to um, have different uh, disciplines in an organization, the more complexity you bring into that. And then the more complexity you bring into that in in a, a more distributed environment, I think um, sometimes that that is a little bit more challenging. And mm-hmm. so when companies start looking at that and start realizing that they want to simplify some of their their strategies, they start saying, okay, what what can we really focus on that moves the meter for, meter for us? Mm-hmm. And what are the things that we don't really need to do? And I, I can give you some examples of like, I think, I don't know, probably like a decade ago, a lot of companies started hiring like an SEO person in mm-hmm. their company. They're like, oh, our website really needs to rank. We need to have an SEO person. Like today, nobody really hires one individual SEO person to work at their company. They realize there's like an SEO company where they have a lot of really smart SEO people that for the same cost of one FTE, you can just hire the SEO company and they're going to get you better results. Right. right? And like, I think that's most people are like, yeah, probably we don't need to have like one SEO person trying to figure out what they're doing. Right. And, and so in my estimation, more things are moving in that direction as we're trying to kind of streamline our operations in um, a quickly evolving um, work landscape. Yeah. Well, I think the quickly evolving is part of it too, because it's, it's granted you have contracts and agreements, I'm sure minimums people have to meet and so on, but they can be more responsive, I think, to market conditions, perhaps if they've, you know, uh, had a quick pivot they want to do and suddenly their sales talent, doesn't really align with where they pivoted. Um, 
That's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that that that's sort of the the other side of the equation for companies and even even just for companies protecting their reputation, right? Um you know, we we all recognize that our reputation as employers is one of the most important things that we have. Mm-hmm. And so a company wanting to, you know, hire 20 people and deploy marketing dollars and all sorts of things like that, A, on something that is is not something that they've proven they can execute on before and is something that might not be a multi-year commitment for them mm-hmm. is, is very risky compared to being able to to have Jump Crew deploy something like that for them and then being able to make a determination, you know, however long, a year into an engagement, whether that's something um, that they they want to keep doing or not. And the beauty of that is, is that if you're Jump Crew, um, we have it built out so that the notice periods would be the right way so that we can always find another home for our people and people don't need to be worried about their jobs um, between one client and the next client. Whereas a single, you know, member party, I guess I would say, mm-hmm. you know, that spells the end of employment for those right. 20 people or whatever. So in that sense, it's it's a lot more efficient as well, in my opinion. So in that environment, how do you, what do you do differently to, you know, as a sales specialist, right? This is your business. It's not what you do for a company. It's your business. Your prof- you know, what do you do differently to train your sellers or to manage your sellers that you know, other regular companies you know, should know? Hmm. That's, that's a great question. Um, I, I would say that a lot of our secret sauce has to be in the identification and selection of the right resources up front. And, you know, we are big on understanding why a person um, is predisposed to being uh, good at sales and why not. And we have so many data points around it within our organization. And um, we keep track and organize those data points very well. So we're very likely to pick people who are going to be good sellers in the first place just because we we understand um, from a data perspective who are the most likely uh, successful sellers. So so that's one thing. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing, uh, the other two things would be the training and support. So when when you've sold a lot of different products, you have a very different perspective on training because you start to think about what transacts rather than why each product transacts. So it's more about the behaviors that we drive Mm -hmm. that enable the transaction rather than the product-specific features and benefits that enable that transaction. And that type of training over time is really a lot more powerful, I think, in most cases. Yeah, Um, I agree. I mean, (laughs) that's my book. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Man, I gave the punchline away, did I? (laughs) Um, And then and then the third the third thing about it is is really just support. You know, our organization exists to support our salespeople, our sales profession. That that is what we are here for. Right. Which is not the case for just regular companies. Yes, exactly. Like my job, my reason for coming to work every day 
is to figure out how to create an environment that makes salespeople successful. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's, that's what I do. And our entire leadership team does the same thing. And so we've, we've built out um, a, an infrastructure for sellers that is really just built to support them. And um, I, I think that's, that's really powerful as well. And so um, I think- Give us an example you know, of what you might do differently in that regard. So one of the things that I think is is important is the the ratios at which we have support at Jump Crew would be different than most companies that I've been in, right? So you have a lot of teams that have, you know, six people to a manager, mm-hmm. maybe 18 people to a director and mm-hmm. 40, 45 people to a VP. And so just those ratios allow us to really touch uh, each one of our coworkers as regularly as possible and support them in a way that I think is different than a lot of organizations. So the ratios are one of the things we really focus on. Um, the other thing that we really focus on is that experiential learning. Right. We uh, tend to really focus on having sales leadership that has been through every single pace, SDR, AE, manager, director, VP, SVP. And we've done that quite thoughtfully because we want our leaders to really understand what mental space each one of those roles is at and what we can do to support them. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of little things like that that you wouldn't think about from the outside looking in. But because we've experienced it, we really know how to tailor that experience um, to our coworkers and provide the support that we think that they need to be successful. And ultimately, our measure of success is our ability to make people successful. Yeah. Well, so on the support issue is, is yeah, one of the things that is written about yeah, a lot in the last couple of years, especially in the pandemic, but certainly existed beforehand and will continue afterwards is providing our mental health support for sellers because uh, it, hey, it's a stressful job, as you, as you know. I mean, you're in it uh, more than most people every day. Um, yeah, so that I've been advocating for is, yeah, yeah. how big of a sales team do you need to have to have a you know, mental health professional on staff or on call that you know, the sales team can talk to? Yeah, you know, I always give the example of the show Billions, uh, if you watch that, with uh, you know, there's somebody on staff, mental health professional on staff. What do you think about that type of stuff? I, I would love to have one uh, on staff. Actually, one of my best friends is a mental health professional. So I don't quite have one on staff, but I have a personal <laughs> one. Um, um, look, I, th- I think that although as, as leaders, most of us will not be certified uh, in how to be a mental health professional. For sure. The reality is that a lot of our job is to be a mental health professional um, in in the sense that, you know, what I've found over time is that supporting um, somebody's positive mind space is really what turns out to be one of the most important things that you can be as a good leader. And um, understanding how somebody is feeling and uh, 
what they're going through and what they're thinking through and um, maybe even uh, what other things are happening in their world uh, mm-hmm. is, is, is one of the most important aspects of being a leader today. And we've, we've brought in different level, a different level of complexity in that conversation um, by, by not necessarily being physically close to people. And so there's a different muscle that has to be built in to really help to um, connect with people in a different way than what we used to. And I think that all of those dynamics put together are um, making it maybe not more difficult to be a leader, but different to be a leader. And mm-hmm. so a lot of a lot of us and a lot of the world is just trying to figure out, well, how do how, what do I need to change about my leadership style to support the new dynamics of the world? And um, and and so I, I think that's that's actually a really interesting problem for for all of us to solve as leaders. Yeah, I mean, I think specifically, and this is again an example I use fairly frequently is is comparing. And I'm a huge soccer fan, so comparing professional soccer to, to sales. I mean, they're both obviously you know, like athletics in general, performance based professions, uh, elite. Hopefully, of the elite sellers, like the elite athletes. But you look at the way professional sports organizations, especially soccer, have staffed their management team, their coaching squad, highly specialized, right? Um, yeah. Have a mental health coach, uh, health nutrition coach, uh, uh, um, you know, in soccer, you're very specialized, you know, they have coaches just for throw-ins and coaches just for set plays. And, and I look at that and sort of draw an analogy with sales. It's like, well, okay. Why, why should managers coach, for instance, right? I mean, we have this ongoing debate. We see it every day virtually on LinkedIn as, oh, managers aren't coaching their sellers enough. And managers saying, oh, be too many pressures on us to coach. You know, we've got to report them to numbers and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, sure, fine. Why not hire professional coaches? Why do they yeah. have to be a manager? Why not hire a professional coach? Uh, hey, I'm a position coach for AEs. You know, I, this is what I do. I specialize in helping AEs in complex deals. Why does it have to be a manager? Why do we presume a manager needs to have that skill? It's 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 a good question, and that line between uh, trainer and manager is is an interesting one, right? Like obviously, in in this organization, a jump crew, we have both things, and um, it's almost like the managers to 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 your sports analogy, the the manager should be the front office guy and the coach should be the coach. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, sure. and the, the manager is managing the business of uh, the sales organization and the coach needs to be responsible for, Hey, how, how are we going to get better? You know, what are we, what are we going to do better? Um, now, now to pivot to something slightly controversial about what you're saying and what the, uh, the LinkedIn uh, rhetoric is all about. I think one of, one of the things that that I find interesting that I think about a lot is um, being coached and wanting to be coached, and how how we bring those things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people gloss over the fact that humans are just humans. At, at the end of the day, we're all just humans. We we have feelings. We have emotions. We um, make things that have things that get us excited and we have things that bring us down. And, and, and so we're humans. And, um, I have rarely 
seen a coach that will not help uh, a student that wants to be coached, or I haven't seen a teacher that will not help a pupil that wants to be taught, or um, a mentor that will not hmm. mentor a mentee that wants to be um, mentored. And um, I worry in a lot of the conversation that we are not empowering people enough to ask for the coaching rather than um, sitting around and waiting and hoping to be coached. And I, I think that in general, organizations have to find a way to meet in the middle. What I find, what I see a lot is a lot of coaches chasing the wrong people around. So a lot of coaches are chasing people that don't want to be coached around. Hey, let me coach you. Hey, let me tell you, oh, I listened to your phone call, blah, 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 blah. They're like, they're not interested. They couldn't care less. On the other hand, by chasing couldn't, everybody couldn't, around. Well, but couldn't care less because why? Could, couldn't care less because why is a good question. It might be because of the coach's style. It might be because they're in the wrong role. Mm. It might be because they are simply not engaged. But for whatever reason, I think practically, we see that coaches um, oftentimes are chasing the wrong people around, which makes us unfortunately pass over the people who are really asking for the coaching. And so I think that one dynamic that everybody, all of us could do better at is pairing up um, the people who really want to coach with the people that really want to be coached and figuring out how to en engage those people within our organizations outside of having just these blanket, like, hey, everybody needs to be coached. Everybody needs to show up for this thing when that's, in my opinion, not really how life works. Yeah. But isn't some of that, though, down to call it the coach, frontline manager, manager at any level, assuming that they don't have you know, 30 direct reports. But if they have a reasonable number of direct reports, isn't the issue perhaps that we're not teaching those managers that the importance of coaching to them, right? Is Because hey. is, I think that's because they're making trade-offs, right? Well, yeah, I can do that, but or, hey, just just follow the process. You'll be okay, as opposed to to a point you made earlier. It's like, okay, what's really going on in your life? What's 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 happening here? Let's let's talk about this. How can I help? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that's that's a fair assessment. I, I just I think my point is more around some people are more open to coaching than others. And if if we focus our coaching to the people who are really um open to it, that's probably where we're going to make the most impact. That's where we're going to get the most distance. And and some of the things are just like practical, right? So, you know, there are, th there are people, hey, you know, Rob, I've been in this role for 20 years. I'm really good at what I do. Uh, I'm, I'm a father of four. I'm a mother of two. I come in here. I bang this out. I go, thank you, but I don't need you to spend an hour, you know, telling me what I could tweak. And that is understandable to me. On the other hand, there might be another person that says, I really just want to master this one thing. I really want to master being an AE and I don't feel like I'm there. And Rob, what advice do you have for me? I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that being selective 
in how we coach and saying that like this person really need, really desires the coaching. Let's focus mm. on that. And this person is at a different stage in their desire, in their career, in their life or whatever. Um, we should still coach them, but maybe we need to figure out how to coach them differently so that they can be engaged. Yeah. Well, and you used the word engaged several times, and we, we know lack of engagement sort of big problem in work in general. Yeah, just thinking, it's like, hey, how do you develop a metric for engagement? Uh, that would be sweet. It's, I mean, you nailed it. It's it's one of the biggest problems, and and I, I think we can all relate to it. Like, you know, sometimes we just you, you're just like, man, I'm just not into this. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. It's it's no offense or or nothing bad or or whatever. Right. It's just I'm I'm not interested. You know I'm right. just not into this. Yeah, and we're humans. Thing we have we have moods and emotions and things change. Right, we're not a steady state. Yeah, and 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 again, um, you know, if if companies, um, if if companies are having that effect on their coworkers over and over again. I think they need to take a step back and ask themselves why. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I think that um, as a society, we're getting around to that a little bit more. Where in COVID, when a lot of people went home and they thought about what they were doing every day, and they said to themselves, "Yeah, I'm just not that interested in it. Like, this is sure. like not it's not doing too much for me," you know. Right. And 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 then people started realize like, hey. We, we need to create a more interesting environment where people feel challenged and they feel uh, engaged, and they feel fulfilled and they feel happy and they, they, they want to do this. And, and I think that's a great thing for society. And I think it's a great thing for, for companies, actually. Yeah. Yeah. If they can focus on it. And I think it's tougher now, obviously, if you, you can't see people in the same yeah. way, then yeah, this is a challenge for management to say, yeah, what, how can we really gauge this level of engagement of uh, people that, to some degree, you know, their level of engagement is going to change anyway, right? Because I, you hope uh, that because some people, have, you said, and alluded to us is, is, sure, we've seen a lot of people change jobs during the, the pandemic. I think the best uh, term I saw for it was not the great resignation, but the great reassessment. And yes. A lot of people have taken the time to say, look, yeah, what is most important? I mean, what is going to keep me engaged? What I would, what, what do I find really interesting? Um, yeah, so I just yeah, this engagement. I think I think you really hit on a key point there with this sort of almost call it a coaching resistance to some degree. And, and I think there's two elements to it, at least in my mind. Is one is is yeah, I don't look at coaching as as giving advice. I look at coaching as asking questions and helping people solve problems and. So I think we've got that issue is, you know, coaching is, what's the definition of coaching? What's good coaching look like? But then, yeah, then you say people being engaged and saying, yeah, you think they'd want, they could get good coaching. Why wouldn't you want good coaching? Yeah. And, and, and that is a lot. Again, it's, it's a, it's a two way street. It takes, it takes both sides of the equation. You know, I remember like early on in my career, I was not open to coaching at all. <laughs> I just I didn't want to hear it, and and <laughs> why? Because why? you're new. It's not like you felt you could master it. It wasn't that I felt I mastered it at all. It wasn't it, uh, for me. It's just that I felt like the coaches were insincere. 
And I just didn't feel like they could help me. I didn't feel like they genuinely wanted to help me. I felt like they genuinely wanted to tick a box. And I was like, man, I, I'm I'm trying to make some money here. I'm trying to advance my career. I have no interest in listening to you for a half an hour of my day so you can tick the box. That That's just, I wasn't interested in it. And so the interesting part, just in hindsight, is that I probably... I probably missed out on some opportunities to get better faster for having that attitude. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I think that I was partially right because a lot of the uh, other side of the table, the coaching side of the table had that attitude as well. It's like, man, I have to tick a hundred boxes. I have, you know, I'm supposed to talk to every salesperson every quarter to get my bonus. And so, you know, that's what I'm going to do. And I think if you're a salesperson and and you see that, it just turns you off and you don't you don't feel like listening to that person. And so, you know, coming back all the way around to it, it's that authenticity factor. It's the same thing. Like if you're if you're authentic and you genuinely want to help somebody advance, they're going to see it and they're mm-hmm. going to more than likely be receptive to it. And I think on the other side, if you're, you know, if you just treat coaching like ticking a box and checking a number, I think your coworkers are going to see that and they're right. they're not going to react well to it. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, good stuff. Well, Robert, thanks for joining me today. Um, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Robert Henderson, and my email address is Robert Henderson, Robert at jumpcrew.com. You can shoot me a note anytime and I'd be happy to chat. Perfect. All right. Well, Robert, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Robert Henderson, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.